0: Coming to you from a cozy little condo. high atop old Fort Ward Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to the Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts.
1: And I have to thank Representative Lucy McBath for reminding me that today is National Love Your Pet Day. And I'm grateful I got my two cats with me this week. And man, are we having a great day? I mean, it's President's Day, and so I I got up, not really aware that so much of the banking and real estate industry just mail it in today and decided not to. So I got a lot of work done and then I started getting these bounce back emails. Oh, I'm out till tomorrow. I'm like, oh, oh, well, that just means that I, I've got a head start on tomorrow's day and can just kind of chill a little bit, except it's time to put together today's Ron show. And I want to thank you for listening. Whether you're tuned in uh, weekdays, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app or at AmericaOneRadio.com, or if you're listening to The Ron Show on one of the several, all the major uh, podcast platforms. Thank you. Please give us a a like, a share, a follow, all the good stuff. Uh, rate us, please. We would love a nice rating. I want to thank my buddy Rob for uh, giving us a fantastic rating last week on uh, Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening. Shortly after I wrapped the show on Friday, we got word that President Jimmy Carter, in consultation with his doctors, his wife Rosalind, and family, had decided that he is going to be leaving the hospital and heading home for hospice care. As the son of a mother lost to cancer nearly 12 years ago, I understood what that meant right away. President Carter, at age 98, no longer wishes to fight what is his natural destiny. The Carter Presidential Library released this statement. After a series of short hospital stays, former U.S. President Jimmy Carter today decided to spend his remaining time at home with his family, and receive hospice care instead of additional medical intervention. He has the full support of his family and his medical team. The Carter family asks for privacy during this time and is grateful for the concern shown by his many admirers. I'll be joined later in the show by a good friend of mine, historian, sociology professor at Coker University, Professor Mal Hyman. We'll go over Jimmy Carter's legacy and why Jimmy Carter is the best of what America has to offer. Just wanted to make note of that before we go diving into huh, the cesspool that is today's political <laughs> discourse, but uh, it would I would be remiss without mentioning at the start of the show that my heart aches for President Carter and his wife, Rosalind, and the family on what is uh, a tough call to make, a trying time, but also a truly loving chapter, closing chapter for his life and surrounded by his loved ones, we will discuss that a little bit later. I'm going to start with uh, one of the two topics that I think everybody is pretty much talking about today, at least in political circles, and to me, it, it's the biggest one. <laughs> President Joe Biden on President's Day, while the banks are closed, while a lot of folks are just chillaxing, I actually got in like about 45 minutes by the the pool today as well. I mean, it's 70 degrees, and our hot tub is 100 degree water. So yeah, I anyway. While we're all kind of chillaxing a little bit on President's Day, the actual President of the United States said, hmm, I feel like taking a sunny stroll in Kyiv. Small problem. Kyiv is a war zone, Mr. President. This is what it sounds like as he's walking. You hear those air raid sirens? big deal. President Joe Biden and Volodymyr Zelensky, president of the Ukraine, just taking a leisurely stroll through the streets of Kiev today. Wow. I don't know how the man walks with stones that big. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to be crude, but dude secretly flew to Kiev in the midst of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Wow. I I can't understate this, y'all. I really cannot understate this. Now, predictably, those on the right are playing the what about game. What about East Palestine, Ohio? Um, So Governor Mike DeWine finally relented on states' rights. Y'all love states' rights. You love states' rights until you need to point at the federal inaction that's usually stunted by states' rights. I mean, the EPA is in East Palestine the CDC. FEMA's there. And let's be honest, with right-wingers, especially the pundit class, if he were to go there, oh, he's just in the way. He's just there for photo ops. You cannot win with that crowd anyway. So do what you feel is your priority or do what you feel you've already laid enough groundwork down to that you have to follow through on. I mean, if you're going to go to a war zone as a president, you have to think that there's a lot of pre-planning done There are a lot of accommodations made, and they actually even let the Kremlin know. Almost as a dare, don't you dare. So the president did his thing, talk radio, cable news, right-wing TV, heads exploded. This was actually one of the more measured responses, if you can believe it or not, uh, that I found on Newsmax. Uh, Former executive secretary and chief of staff of the National Security Council, Fred Flights, a Republican, had a response, and he actually, like, you'd listen to this and think, Oh my gosh, is he like complimenting Joe
0: Biden a little bit? I mean, kind of, but no. Well, it was a gutsy move by uh, President Biden. It certainly is going to be an enormous boost to the morale of the people of Ukraine. Uh, But I I hate to rain on this parade, but I think this is an extremely irresponsible thing for an American president to do, to go to a war zone where there are no American troops, to an area where there are not uh, U.S. strategic interests. I think if Biden was to meet the president of Ukraine, it should have been in another country. The amount of money, the risks we took to get him in there, he had opportunities to do this before. He didn't do it for security reasons. I have to worry that this was a PR stunt because the president's poll ratings are down so far (laughs) because other mistakes. Mistakes he made. I hate to say that. I'm hoping some good will come out of this and that he will say uh, to the Ukrainian government, we have to find a way out of this war. We have to start negotiations. But at the end of the day, this is not something I would have recommended a US president to do.
1: Hang on a second. We we now need to tell Ukraine to negotiate with honestly, a known terrorist. I thought we didn't negotiate with terrorists. So but we're okay with asking other countries to negotiate with terrorists. State sponsors of terror. We don't negotiate, but we're going to negotiate or we're going to proxy negotiate with one now. Hmm. Interesting. And did you hear the photo op? It doesn't matter where President Biden goes. If he went to Ohio, it's a photo op. If he goes to Ukraine, it's a photo op. Honestly, I'm a little surprised that someone who had such a high ranking in the National Security Council doesn't understand the big picture involved in this. I mean, yeah, was it a stunt? Political stunt? Mm, Perhaps. A geopolitical stunt, though. Seriously, a diplomatic stunt. This is Russia's last throws. They are literally scouring the streets for able-bodied people to put a uniform on them and send them into this war. It's not even popular in Russia anymore. This is a new offensive that Putin and his general cronies are trying to advance in Ukraine, and they're not getting anywhere. And here we are in the throes of this new offensive, and the President of the United States, feeble Joe, right, (laughs) flies in, in the middle of the war zone, to show the world, hey guys, we got this if we just back them for a little while longer. That's the message sent. Remember when we went from, oh, Obama's weak because he drew a line, and then the line was crossed, and we didn't do anything about that. And then we went to Donald Trump, who kind of mamby-pambied at the feet of Putin on a dais when was asked by the media if he questioned Putin and Putin's and Russia's involvement in the 2016 election. Duh. I mean, I remember talking to a coworker of mine at the time, huge Trump supporter, and and little, his name is Jeff. Literally, Jeff was like, "Yeah, I know that was that was disappointing. He he looked really weak. Yeah, uh huh. He sure did. And now." <laughs> You've got the current president of the United States who's like, yeah, I'll fly into his war zone. Come on, Putin, what you got? And literally even told the Kremlin, hey, this is what's happening. Don't you dare. I mean, fine. Yes, I I like that Fred Flights brought up the morale for the folks of Ukraine. It it is a a a wind in their sail. No doubt about it. You know what else it is? It's deflating to the Russian military. And try as Vladimir might, word eventually gets around to everybody. Man, what a punch to the gut. Make no mistake, the needs of East Palestine, Ohio are great and many. And it is jarring what folks on the ground there are being told by authorities at the state level. And now we're waiting as the federal folks have rolled in to find out what sort of impact there is to groundwater. Well water is huge in East Palestine, Ohio. Runoff into lakes, rivers, and tributaries. Air quality, all very important to the folks of East Palestine, Ohio. And I've no doubt that President Joe Biden likely probably will visit that area pretty soon. He's actually pretty good at that. And he's a heck of a consoler. Dude throws a hug on you. Whether you ask for it or not. (laughs) He'll throw a hug on you, right? But the amount of time that went into his appearance today in Kiev could not go to waste. It just couldn't. As we come up on the year anniversary of this incursion, and as we come into this new Russian offensive, the statement needed to be made that neither Ukraine nor the United States backing them are going to blink. And I scoff at anybody who thinks that he did this for poll numbers, because those who are already in favor of our backing Ukraine aren't going to be swayed by this. And those who aren't, obviously won't be either. No, Joe did it because this is a chess move and a really bold and shrewd one at that marjorie's treasonous tweet that's next more on show on america one radio next incidentally for those who don't know my full-time job is that i am a realtor a real estate agent with exp realty and you can dive right in to the latest listings get your home value checked out check out open houses by visiting me at rononthereal.com. R-E-A-L, Even share some uh, blog posts that has me focusing in on the real estate industry and trends. Obviously, interest rates are climbing right now, which has a lot of folks thinking, oh, that means the market's going to go south. Mm, Atlanta's Atlanta's a different animal. Money Magazine actually says that Atlanta is the number one place to live, the best place to live in the United States. And by 2040, there will be two and a half million more of us living in Metro Atlanta. There's like six million now. That's a big chunk of people coming in the next 18 years. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, 18 years, that's that's a long way from now. Do you know it was 18 years ago we were all jamming in the club to a new song called Yeah by Usher, Little John, and Ludacris? Yeah. <laughs> Not all that long ago, right? Life moves pretty fast. Ferris Bueller, thank you. Currently, we are seeing mortgage interest rates at or above 7%. That's a far cry from the below 3% figures we were enjoying the last two years, but they're not all that different than what they were in 2004, 18 years ago. And by 2040, if you pull the trigger on a home purchase or a rental income investment property today, you'd be either done with it if you chose a 15-year mortgage or more than halfway through a 30-year note, with equity growing by the year in a local housing market, needing space for 2.5 million more people by 2040. What I'm saying is what you buy now... Is likely going to be wildly more valuable in 2040 or even 2030. It really is good to be number one, especially if you own your own home or a rental income property or both in Metro Atlanta. Hit me up, Ron at rononthereal.com, 843 283 0078. Georgia MLS 396
0: 720. Archived audio, blogs, social media links, and more all in one place. Log on at ronshowatl.com. The Ron Show on America One Radio.
1: By the way, if you are more of the podcasting type, like you just cannot commit to being on the America One Radio app or at com every weekday, 5 to 6 p.m. Okay, it's understandable. I get it. Although a lot of our audience just kind of flows from one to the next to the next, and we really, really appreciate that. Listen, I'm honored for anyone that's listening to Tom Hartman, and Randy Rhodes, and then sticks with me? Are you kidding me? I've only been doing this since October. Those, those folks are giants. They're fantastic at what they do. And you probably just kind of uh, grit through an hour of this amateur, hackish, Atlanta and Georgia-centric, usually, uh, political dialogue. I appreciate the fact that you're doing that, and you're letting me kind of grow, and I appreciate the support. I'd appreciate it a whole lot more if you would uh, decide that you'd like to add me to your podcast platform. So many of them there for you. Uh, the Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher. There's there's a, like a half dozen of them, uh, all, all the majors there. And I've got the links for you on the podcast link at ronshowatl.com. Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh, my God. Speaking of Georgia. Georgia, by the way, I, I mean, it's it's a battleground state, but on the federal level, it's a blue state, right? The last two federal elections. The ones that seat our two Senate seats, they went for the blue team. So it's not exactly a red state. And yet that's where Marjorie Taylor Greene hails from. I mention that because if you've been in a coma, then you don't know about her tweet. She tweets, by the way, she's on the Homeland Security House panel. Hello, Homeland Security. They tend to not like traitors. They tend to not like treason. She tweets, we need a national divorce. If Anyone should know about being served papers. It would be her. We need to separate by red states and blue states and shrink the federal government. Everyone I talk to says this. Okay, ma'am, maybe get around a little bit more. From the sick and disgusting woke culture issues shoved down our throats to the Democrats' traitorous America last policies, We are done. Um, Marge, wouldn't dissolving the United States actually be America last? Wouldn't that be the least America first thing to do? This is so, I'm going to take my ball and go home because the rest of you don't agree with me. This is just pathetic. As Nikki Haley herself pointed out last week when announcing her run for the presidency, and Marjorie apparently isn't listening. Her party, their party has lost 7 of the last 8 presidential popular votes. Mhm. Yeah, that that's a that's a that's a pretty incredible losing spell, right? If that were a college football coach, If that were an NFL football coach or a team, if you'd lost six of the last seven football scores, you'd be on thin ice. You'd be looking for a new coach. You'd be looking for a new way to play ball because the way you're playing ball isn't helping you win games, right? The GOP refuses to accept that the only thing that keeps them relevant is a Senate map that they continue to doctor by suppressing statehood for Puerto Rico and the District of Columbia. Their asses are saved by states like North and South Dakota, which, for all intents and purposes, could merge and I think would still be smaller geographically than Texas and still be dwarfed in population by the likes of Texas and California and Illinois and New York. But those two states have... Four U.S. senators. And I believe Metro Atlanta has more people than both of those states combined, and we have to share our two Senate seats with the rest of the state of Georgia. That's not fair. The GOP is saved by that. They're saved by the Electoral College and what I call a capped house. The capped house, meaning the U.S. has grown in population by like two and a half to three times the size it was the last time we grew the size of the House of Representatives. Folks like Marjorie Taylor Greene are representing two to three times as many people as they used to, because we, for whatever reason, have sat at 435. We've just capped the House for some reason. That means that states that continue to grow in population have their representation diminished, because the Senate numbers never change, even if the House numbers do, but the House numbers are never growing in number. You just take that 435 and spread it around a little bit based on population. So as districts and states in districts continue to grow, they just get their representation diluted. And the GOP is saved by that. The GOP is saved by that twice now in my lifetime. 2000 with Al Gore and George W. Bush. 2016 with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Otherwise, there would be no 63 majority Supreme Court, we would have a majority liberal Supreme Court because we have a slightly majority liberal voting American population. Marjorie. Never mind that once before in American history, conservatives didn't like woke culture and wanted to maintain their way of life. And we had a war over that because someone wanted to split up they wanted a national divorce. We fought a war over that, Marjorie. The Constitution is pretty clear on that, too. What you just tweeted today is unconstitutional, and your ass sits on the Homeland Security House Caucus? Wow. I could also mention that, in general, red states are on the federal teat more than the blue states. The blue states put in more than they get back, and the red states take out more than they put in, because that money's coming from the blue states. Never mind that California is the nation's largest agricultural state. It's also a blue state. Eh. Everybody wants to talk about, well, what are, what are the blue states going to do without the farmers? Uh, California is the largest agricultural state. And also, where are you going to sell all those farm goods? Hmm. Marjorie doesn't think before she tweets them. Well, a lot of the time. Marjorie also doesn't think before she speaks and acts a lot of the time as well. House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who's already on shaky ice as it is and has Marjorie to thank for that tenuous position he has, now has to be sweating whether or not she gets to keep her committee assignments. When you say something treasonous, you ought not even be in office. You certainly shouldn't have congressional committee assignments though, right? Nikki Haley wants competency tests for anybody over the age of 75 serving office. Why don't we try 45?
0: More Ron Show on America One Radio after this. Follow the Ron Show on Twitter at Ron Show ATL. The Ron Show on America One Radio.
1: So I'm honored to have a few minutes to talk with my good friend, professor of sociology at Coker University, Mal Hyman.
2: Mal, how have you been? How are things in South Carolina these days? I'm doing well. It's good to join you, my old friend. And uh, this will be my last year of teaching, and we're trying to come up with some changes in South Carolina politics, maybe a 10-point plan the Democrats can sign on to. And uh, just happy to be uh, working in the classroom. I was able to get to Montgomery, Alabama for a little bit to see the new Civil Rights Museum there, it's uh, remarkable, I highly recommend it to your listeners, and uh, yeah, uh, revising uh, my book on media coverage of the assassination of John Kennedy, and and we'll be doing a, a conference on the assassination of Martin Luther King in Memphis, April 13th to the 15th. So all that's been keeping me out of trouble. Or maybe it's good trouble. I don't know.
1: Good trouble. Yeah, we know what good trouble means. Uh, you know, I honestly would have loved to have talked to you a lot about uh, the stepping into the political fray, the presidential race of Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina. But then we got word uh, late Friday that uh, former President Jimmy Carter is heading into hospice. And we all knew what that meant. Uh, it didn't need to be said. We, we knew what that meant. And this gives us the rare opportunity to look back on the life and memorialize someone who hasn't yet passed. And and there's something, you know, poetic about that. Um, I, I, of course, born in 1974, am too young really to understand uh, the implications of his presidency, let alone his governorship before then. So it, it's good that I get to talk to somebody who's got me by just a few years to uh, look back on his political lineage. And as I'm reading back on a lot of his time as a state senator and then governor of Georgia, and then to the presidency, I'm reading uh, about a man who navigated through a complicated time and really knew the nuance of diplomacy and and reaching uh, across divisive factions to try and find a path forward. Uh, am, Am I off on that a little bit? I mean, he had to navigate through segregation and wasn't for busing at the time, and uh, was for the death penalty. This, this is a man who was a, a pretty complicated, shrewd politician.
2: I think you're right. And I don't want to claim that I'm an expert on Carter's presidency or his time as governor, hmm. uh, but he was a nuclear engineer. Right. Uh, he was on the Trilateral Commission, so he tried to work with the elites and, and keep his ethics. And I think he was a centrist that raised trust during his presidency, uh, certainly tried to be a progressive, moderate, practical, get things done, help the country heal after Watergate. And had he known more about Washington uh, the first year, year and a half, I think he would have gotten off to a steadier, more practical start. It takes a while to figure it out. I think Bill Clinton ran into some of that his first couple years too, but the policies on everything from the environment to Panama, where he he, uh, created a new era of harmony, uh, Central America, uh, to looking differently uh, at the Middle East uh, I think uh, reining in the CIA with Stansfield-Turner trying to um, purge from the agency a lot of those that were involved in covert actions, um, and a lot of that was overturned under Reagan. Uh, and uh, some people have uh, forgotten or not well understood his accomplishments uh, while in office. Uh, but he was a complicated guy, you're right. And, and he he did work with elites and with the military and also with those who had scientific backgrounds and tried to work his way through the, the politics of the era. And 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 because he was a scientist
1: first, uh, he was one of the, the, the earliest politicians on the national stage to talk about climate change in a way that obviously wasn't taken seriously then. He was, of course, famously the president who put solar panels on the White House.
2: That's right. And the environmental policies that he set in place were incremental, but that's all he could get through Congress. But it was to protect the air and the water and to move us uh, uh, to live a more practical lifestyle. He chastised the American public for uh, ha- having a, a lifestyle that was not sustainable. Mm. And it it was a remarkable message. He, he was right about all of that, but in, in some ways, uh, I think he was seen as the spoil sport at the orgy. <laughs> and uh, I, I think also it's fair to say that incrementally, uh, he was able to bring down poverty in the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the lowest we'd had it, Uh, I think in the post-war era, post-World War II era, child poverty was down. Government policies, though not fancy or part of some slogan like a New Deal, uh, were were steadily gaining traction. And I think that would perhaps be uh, possible to characterize his environmental policies the same way. He was sensitive to to questions in the environment, and push through what he could uh, during that era. It's fascinating to look back on his
1: presidency and to hear you talk about the measured responses he was was taking and how a lot of that, of course, was derailed uh, with 12 years of of Reagan-Bush policy. Uh, and, And to look back now and think what might
2: have been had we just stayed the course on some of these measures. Absolutely. You know, I I think our system can work like that, but it will take public pressure. Uh, And as we've talked about a a number of times, uh, most of the change comes from the bottom up, not from the top down. Right. But he was a sensitive leader. And if the public would have been uh, more organized and would have been able to press, you know, we'd have changed responses in Congress and the Senate. It created an atmosphere so that Carter could have gotten a, a lot more done. You know, I don't recall. I I, I recall demonstrations tapering off mm. during that period, and there was the great hope that we could resolve it in Washington. And I think that was naive at the time. Yeah, uh, I've I, I I, I, always needed to to organize in the grassroots.
1: I was, I'm, I'm glad you used the word naive because I feel like and by the way we're on with uh, professor of sociology uh, Mal Hyman from Coker University a good friend of mine he and I get together and talk politics all the time and because now I have a show and a podcast you guys get to to eavesdrop in on a lot of this conversation. I'm glad you brought up the word uh, naive because I feel like there were two chapters to his presidency there was the naive chapter where I don't I think he underestimated the uh, the mud the 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 muck that was Washington. And the evil, sometimes hidden forces he was going to have to combat, and then there was the 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 second chapter, which you know saw him catch his stride and then get derailed a little bit by, as, as you point to, uh, a lack of PR in some respects, and got out PR'd by a, an actor at the height of uh, a hostage crisis, and just got rolled up uh, in in all that towards the end. Uh, is, is my assessment somewhere in there as someone who was like four years old when he was president?
2: <laughs> I think you got the paradigm right. <laughs> and I think Reagan was remarkable on the campaign trail, mm-hmm. well-funded, well-coached. And under our system, if somebody is a remarkable candidate, they, they are able to break through yep. and the hostage crisis did weaken Carter. And a lot of his successes, uh, he didn't tout effectively. Right, and the October surprise was dirty politics, and it worked. Uh, so he, you know, he ended up being a one-termer. And uh, you know, I think uh, Bill Clinton, uh, remarkable on the camp tra- campaign trail, you know, as well as Obama, were able to break through when a lot of the public at first didn't think it was possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, Reagan was a grandfatherly figure, but superb on the campaign trail. Right. And uh, otherwise, we'd have had four more years of incremental change under Carter that I think would have been solid for the country. It wasn't uh, perhaps all that inspiring at the time, but uh, most did feel he was ethical and, and move in the right direction. Uh, when the economy slows up, the president gets blamed. And, you know, when there's a hostage crisis that seems irresolvable, the president looks weak.
1: I, I feel like we're we're eulogizing a man that hasn't yet passed, obviously, uh, with a former President Jimmy Carter now going into hospice. But I also feel like we're looking back at someone that was kind of at a pivotal moment in American history. I, I, I see Jimmy Carter as someone who was sort of the best of America. Uh, In fact, Tom Hartman wrote a column uh, and and shared a lot about that earlier today on America One Radio, where he spoke of Jimmy Carter as as the best of of what America has to offer. And it's unfortunate that we only got four years of him on the national stage. I feel like it was just a a missed opportunity in seeing his ex-president, seeing seeing how he was after serving as president of the United States, and obviously the freedom of not being political anymore— gives you the ability to be more what your soul tells you to be, uh, can, can you speak to that a little bit? And, and, and then I want to kind of dovetail that into whether or not Joe Biden runs for president in 2024, and if that gives him the opportunity to do the same.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with your assessment. And I think some of the successes, like with Panama and reaching out in a different way to Latin America, uh, got lost. Uh, pretty quickly. Most Americans don't follow those policies. They don't uh, impact impact us that quickly in terms of economics. Americans aren't dying. We don't follow mm-hmm. the politics of Latin America. But the changes with Panama under Torrios and, and Carter were exemplary. And the changes on child poverty and poverty in the country and food stamps and, and school lunch programs know were exemplary and and could have been built upon and and i think in the ex-presidency that's not well understood either people remember him as uh sure the carter center but most don't know what it does as well as uh, they know that he taught sunday school and he was an ethical Mm -hmm. man and was active with habitat for humanity yeah uh he was also active uh, uh, monitoring foreign elections right. and was critical in inspiring other groups to do the same, citizen groups, vital for democracy globally. And his work on the Middle East is exemplary uh, and he got hammered because he was able to, to look at not just Camp David while in office to make progress, but to visit the region and write about it uh, but uh, the american public wasn't following the middle east closely enough to recognize that these were truly the stands that could have brought us to to move toward resolving or or tamping down the problem and moving toward a two-state solution with the palestinians and israelis mm-hmm. remarkable work uh, but uh, I, i'm not sure in retrospectives i think people will. Come to better understand his contributions there.
1: Well, and, and it, Iran blew up in his face, which was not the making of, of his presidency, but several presidencies ago, and in, in our coordination with uh, British intelligence in the nineteen fifties to unseat, uh, you know, their their prime minister at the time, and just uh, again, just one of those one of those uh, administrations you look back at and you go. You know, this guy was really well-intentioned, and unfortunately, there were some outside factors that he either didn't take seriously enough or was too naive to understand the importance of early on that came back to haunt him politically.
2: Yeah, well, you're right about the nature of oil politics Mm. and British Petroleum and the uh, American oil companies pressuring Eisenhower... Uh, and Churchill, to use the CIA and m one six to overthrow uh, the democratically elected uh, government in Iran, mm-hmm. uh, Mossadegh, a professor that said the oil of Iran belongs to the people of Iran, uh, and we 've been dealing with uh, that uh, yeah. oil the oil politics of that era ever, ever since.
1: since absolutely i don 't know
2: the theocracy that came to power viewed America as decadent and colonial, even though Carter was uh, far less so <laughs> yeah, anything than but. any American president uh, before then. And uh, uh, the view of the Muslim fundamentalists was the Soviet Union was godless and tyrannical, and uh, they organized in the mosques, and that momentum ultimately took over And Carter Carter got stuck with it, and he didn't cause the the policies, but he wasn't in a position to change them very quickly. And tragic that he got caught up with it, and he ended up with just one term with his presidency. And I think it's probably fair to say that it took a while for Carter to sort out what he needed to do on many issues, because it's so complicated when you come into the presidency. And Carter was part of the Trilateral Commission, could, could have been some of his top advisors, uh, were a little soft on what was happening there, uh, and, and then he was jolted. Uh, it's, it's not altogether clear how much he knew when about, about the rise of Muslim fundamentalism in Iran.
1: And it has to be pointed out as well that his party wasn't exactly in lockstep with each other. There was was a fractious moment in the Democratic Party's history where there was the move of Southern Democratic conservatives fleeing for the Republican Party. We're on with Professor Mal Hyman, Coker University. We'll get back with him right after this on America One Radio and The Ron Show.
0: This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. We're on
1: with Professor Mal Hyman. Coker University Sociology, and uh, we've been talking a little bit about uh, the, a retrospective of sorts of the Jimmy Carter presidency and his political career. Uh, so, of course, Coker University and my good friend, Professor Mal Hyman, both reside in South Carolina. Uh, Mal and I know each other from uh, his running for the House of Representatives twice, uh, SC7. Of course, he's a Democrat, so he comes up short in a <laughs> Largely Republican area of the state, but still a noble, uh, noble effort uh, on a couple of occasions, and maybe there's another one in you at some point in time. But uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the potential of a Nikki Haley campaign to be the Republican nominee. What do you think? Does, does she have a shot?
2: Well, she's politically shrewd. She was able to keep high ratings in South Carolina after two terms as governor and figure a way just prior to reelection to make sure that there was some money that came into social programs and gave teachers raises that one year um and then her her ability to deal with crises was adequate she's certainly well spoken i think the republican party wants to rebrand and have greater access to women um and as an Indian American, uh, it allows them a chance to talk about immigration from the point of view of somebody whose family is more recently emigrated. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she's going to be up to how uh, thoroughly vile this uh, process could be. <laughs> and I think that remains to be seen. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, if she's the only candidate running against Trump, and I don't think she will be, uh I think you know at least there's a place for uh sane moderates and and conservatives that just have had enough of Trump or don't think he can win mm-hmm. to try Haley because she'd have a better chance of of beating Biden, and I figure it's going to be biden um so I think it as you were alluding before to it depends who's in the race. DeSantis um, has has developed a following nationally, but may figure at the age of 44, he doesn't want to get into this mud wrestling, and he'll wait a term because he'll be able to inherit the mantle of Trump and not have to go through fighting him. Mm-hmm. So I think Haley could be a decent candidate. I think she's already had a misstep on age where she said there ought to be some sort of a, a test once people hit the age of 75 to see if they're able to be president. It certainly gets in the news, but I think it's, uh, it's not going to help her very much. Uh, in broad terms, she would be able to raise the the need for a generational change Mm -hmm. because a lot of Democrats think Biden might be too old too. Yeah,
1: he's not exactly polling well within the party as far as running again.
2: Right. I I think I saw an ABC poll saying 62% of Democrats would just assume he wouldn't run again. Um, And and a a lot of people have not followed the successes of this congressional term, which were significant. Yeah and uh Biden looked uh by many accounts solid with the state of the union address with high energy and gave a sense of vision uh and maybe looked 10 years younger than you know he actually is but age will be a factor. Yep. Haley can uh can use that. So I I think she could be uh a candidate that's viable somehow i i think she has no idea what it's like dealing with uh, the nastiness of of donald trump yeah well and and she she was on his cabinet you
1: would think she does but uh she to me the the one person from his cabinet that kind of came away unscathed with with without the muck on her long term that's that's why, and I, I agree with your assessment. This was me last week saying a lot of these same things. She's got the packaging. She looks the part of that new generation of Republican, but comes with a lot of the same policies. I, I, I believe this of, of Republican voters in general. I think a slim majority of them love Trump's policies, but can't stand what he says and would much rather it come from someone with more broad appeal.
2: But I think you're right. And you know if they were able to have a Nikki Haley at the top of the ticket, and pair her with somebody who's younger, who has some experience in the Senate, a Marco Rubio type, right? That uh, and Rubio would be an interesting choice if he would want to do that,
1: because
2: mm-hmm. uh, it could bring in the Hispanic vote, and it would solidify Florida, and it and he's younger, yeah. And he would certainly be setting up his chances down the road and you know if biden's health falters a little bit uh you know age could be more of a factor if the economy i mean we're miles away from yeah, there's a lot of what so. happens in 2024 but <laughs> health problems could be there the economy could take a downturn the the war in ukraine could get wider yeah uh support for it could be could wane, and there's a fight in the Republican Party over funding mm-hmm. if, if they think that they can score like that. So we're, we're a ways away. But I, I think you're right by serving as ambassador to the UN for a couple of years, getting international experience, and then moving out of the Trump administration without alienating Trump or his base was pretty shrewd.
1: Yeah, no, I and agree. With it, that.
2: It left her with a possibility of running and she seems to be eager to give it a try
1: all right i'm gonna put you on hold here because i've got about 15 seconds gonna wrap the show I did not get to on this day in black history i'll give you a double dose of that tomorrow we are back tomorrow 5 to 6 p.m on the america one radio app AmericaOneRadio.com, and on all the podcast platforms now apple iheart spotify you name it we're on it back tomorrow we'll see you then thanks for joining us